Well, today is going to be uh, a little different. I want to share some thoughts with you, and um, I want to share part of one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and it's found in Genesis chapter 37. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph was the youngest son of Israel, who his name was renamed from Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, which was God's promise to Isaac that he would be the father of many nations. And so Israel has uh, 11 sons. The 12th son is named Joseph, and Joseph was the favorite of his dad. Now, I know all of you are all-star parents, and if you have multiple kids, you don't have a favorite. Uh, mine is a little girl named Hallie, but don't tell my boys that. <laughs> I know you don't have favorites, but Israel, Jacob, did have a favorite, and his name was Joseph, and this was known among all of his brothers that he was the favorite. And so I want to start reading as I share some thoughts today that I'm simply titling Dreams, Detours, and Destiny. Dreams, Detours, and Destiny. Genesis chapter number 37, starting in verse number 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, sibling rivalry is elevated when the dad basically comes out and says, Joseph is my favorite. Okay, I love you all. He's my favorite. I'm going to make a special robe for him. I'm going to give him special treatment. He was born to me in my old age. So he gets the best of my treatment. And so his brothers resented him. He's 17 at this time. And let's read what happens. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves, sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. So it's one thing to have a dream that you're going to rule over your brothers, but it's another thing to communicate that to them. So he tells his brothers, I had this dream it's got to be from God. One day you're all going to bow, right? And so they hated him all the more. Then he has another dream, verse 9. He had another dream and he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Now listen to this, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His brothers became jealous, his brothers hated him all the more. But I want to talk for a minute about dreams. Joseph had a dream that his brothers would bow down to him. As he embraced this dream and shared it with his brothers, whether he thought it was literal or not, in the moment, I can imagine that he pictured that dream coming to pass in certain ways. Whatever that looked like. Maybe he would come into political power and maybe he would literally reign over his brothers. Maybe he just basically was talking junk to them and sharing this to them. We don't know the whole story, but we know that he did have a dream. Now, let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 42, verse 6. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. 
When his brothers arrived, he's the governor. There's a famine in the land. We'll talk about that in a moment. And he is now ruling over the people in Egypt in a distant land from his brothers. His brothers come seeking grain because there's a famine in the land. And because of his position, they literally bowed down to him. Now, if you're Joseph in this moment, you're fired up, right? You're like, the dream has come true. I told you. I told you you would bow down to me. But here's what I want to talk about for a few moments today is that sometimes in between the dream and the fulfillment of the dream, there are some detours. And Joseph, while he may have, in our minds, had this taken place immediately following embrace the reality of the dream that he had many years ago, there were actually detours along the way. See, because his brothers became jealous of Joseph, after he told them this dream, his brothers actually mistreated him. His brothers were out tending sheep in the field, and his father, as he was at home, told him to go out and check on his brothers Bring back word, make sure they're okay. Joseph goes out to his brothers, out in the field. The brothers see him coming from a distance. The jealousy in their heart, the fact that their father treats him better, the fact that he had a dream that he told them they were going to bow down to him one day. They became angry, and seeing him coming in the distance, they conspired to kill him. They said, we're going to kill him when he gets here. And one of the brothers stepped up and began to say, we, we can't kill him. This is our father's favorite son. We can't kill him. And, and just about that moment, they looked over and they saw some Midianites coming through. And he convinced them, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. And so when Joseph got there, they threw him into a cistern down into a well that was dry until the Midianites got there. And they sold him for a small amount of money. They took this robe that the father had made and they killed one of the lambs. And they put the blood on the robe and they took it to the father and they said to Israel, we found this on our way back home. Something terrible has surely happened to your son Joseph, our little brother. And the father mourned and grieved the loss of his son. He couldn't be consoled. He was so distraught that his favorite son had been killed. So Joseph, who had this dream that he would rule over his brother, is now betrayed by his brothers and is sold into slavery. And he is sent to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, Scripture says that the Lord was with him. Even though there was a detour to the dream, even though the dream didn't happen immediately, even though he was sold into slavery, the Lord was still with him. And it says that he found favor with Potiphar. And so he is promoted from being a slave to being in charge of this captain of the guard, in charge of his whole household. Now he would have never asked to be in charge of the captain of the guard for the Egyptian armies. He wouldn't have asked to be in charge of his household. Remember his dream was to be back at home ruling over his brother's and his parents. But he finds himself on this detour by which God is still with him and is still showing him favor. And he becomes the second under the captain of the guard of all the armies, oversaw all of his affairs. Scripture says that the captain of the army didn't even worry himself with any of his affairs because he trusted Joseph this much. 
Well, I imagine Joseph was um, a fairly good-looking young man because um, Potiphar's wife actually was attracted to Joseph and began to solicit him to be with her. And he refused. He was a godly young man. He said, there's no way I could betray my master that way. I will not do it. And one time in particular, she grabbed him and tried to uh, make him embrace her. And in the integrity of his heart, he took his cloak off and he left. He fled. He ran from the temptation to be with his master's wife. But the master's wife resented that action. So she told her husband, look, his robe is still here. He tried to take advantage of me. She told the servants, and they all came to the master with this story. And the master became so angry. I've entrusted you with everything. How could you betray me and throw him into prison? Now, prison wasn't on his radar when he had a dream that he would one day rule over his brothers. He found himself in a, a nice position in this household, he had a, a great opportunity there, and now even that is being taken from him, and he finds himself in prison. It's a funny thing, though, because Scripture says that God was still with him, and he found favor with the prison guard. In fact, they put him as a prisoner in charge of the whole prison because he found favor there. And so they didn't worry themselves about the affairs of the prison. They entrusted Joseph to care for everything and found himself yet again in a nice position. And it just so happens that the king's cupbearer and baker offended the king in some way and he threw them in prison as well. They each had a dream. And they could not figure out what this dream meant. But Joseph said, tell me your dream and I'll interpret it. And he tells the cupbearer, your dream means that in three days you're going to be restored to your position. He tells the baker, your dream means that in three days you're going to be beheaded. And both came true. And his last words to the cupbearer before he was reinstated to his position with the king was, don't forget me. Remember me when you're in the presence of the Pharaoh. But two years go by and the cupbearer forgot about him took for granted that he was reinstated and forgot all about Joseph. So Joseph is still in prison, which he never had on his radar when he had his dream. But one day the king had a dream. And the king invited all of the magicians and all of the satires, all the people who were supposed to be able to interpret dreams, and nobody could interpret his dream. And suddenly the cupbearer remembered, there's someone in prison that interpreted my dream, and it came true, and maybe he can do the same for you. And so they sent for Joseph, and he went to Pharaoh and interpreted his dream that there would be seven years of abundance throughout the land of Egypt, followed by seven years of famine, that he needed to store up grain for the nation for the first seven years, because when the famine hit, they would be in a better position. And the Pharaoh was so impressed with this interpretation and with his plan that he put him second in charge of the entire nation of Egypt and all of his kingdom. Another detour, but man, God was still with him. He still had favor in the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of men. 
And while he had a dream that he would rule over his brothers as they betrayed him and he found himself in slavery, he was promoted, he was thrown in prison, and now he's put in charge of all of Pharaoh's kingdom. He works his plan. He stores a lot. The famine hits, and all throughout the land, people are suffering, but not the nation of Israel, because Joseph's wisdom guided that nation, and they were prepared. So people from all surrounding regions began to hear that there's plenty of grain in Egypt, and they began to come and ask. And one of those families happens to be his own family who betrayed him. Now, we read chapter 42, verse 6, and we see that the brothers come and they bow down to him. But we don't understand what it took for him to get to that position. And I don't know if you have any dreams, but sometimes when we have dreams, we have in our heads how that dream will come to pass. And we have in our heads what that will look like. And when that doesn't happen, we give up on our dreams. And, and we feel like our dreams uh, weren't from God or our dreams weren't coming true, and so we feel like failures in certain regards. And I can imagine the emotions that Joseph went through on all these detours towards the dream. But at the end of the day, the dream paled in comparison to what God wanted to do through Joseph's life. Joseph only envisioned himself ruling over his brothers, right? But he had a destiny. He had a destiny that would save a nation, that would save Hundreds and thousands of lives because of the favor of God and him being put into a position. So not only did his brothers bow down to him, but he actually ruled over basically an entire nation. And I think sometimes when we have dreams, our dreams pale in comparison to what God actually wants to do in our lives because we sometimes limit our dreams by our envisioning of how that dream is going to come to pass. Let me give you a real-life example that all of us will understand. For six years, Synergy Church has been a dream for Lindsay and I. I'll never forget October 1st, 2010, when Lindsay and I, sitting across the table from one another, committed to start this church. No clue how to start a church, but we knew that God had called us to it, and we set out on an adventure to do it. Six years later, we find ourselves here at the rec department. We've had a dream from the beginning to be part of a church, to lead a church that would not only exist in a community, but would transform a community, that we would make Christ known in the lives of people far from God, that we wouldn't just be another church, but we would be a different church that reached people that cared about sharing the hope and the message of Jesus Christ. It's been our passion from the beginning. We've also had a, a dream that our church would impact the next generation that our children would grow up in an environment that would make them love church. That our students would grow up in an environment that would radically transform their lives. That would leave a lasting impression on them for years to come. That they would be part of a church that was so life-giving that, that they never would consider life without our church. I had a dream of one of my sons taking over my church one of these days. This was my plan for life. 
But about six months ago, Lindsay and I began to examine our church. I have tried really hard to harden my heart for this moment, and it's not working. And God has done some amazing things in the life of our church. But when we look at the next generations that are a part of our church, we don't feel that the church we envision has been able to provide that atmosphere for our children and our students. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that Stephanie Doolittle, who is our children's director, who's been with us from the very beginning, is a rock star. And I would say now that if I ever have an opportunity to hire a full-time children's pastor, she would be top of my list. It's not that we don't have the passion to reach people. It's just that we haven't gotten to a place where we're able to provide environments and, and summer camps and, and VBSs and the whole nine yards that would make our kids be part of the church that we envision for them. And specifically our teenagers, our students, we haven't been able to create the church that we envision for them. Now, we have a dream, and we believe that we'll get to that point one day, but we haven't in the five years that we've been here. And so when she and I have begun to talk about where we are, we began to realize more and more that the longer we held on to the dream, the longer the next generations would be part of a church that we didn't envision them being part of. And that broke our hearts. So a couple of weeks ago, just like we sat down and committed to plant this church, we decided together that as we ended this year, we would end Synergy because we want the best for our families. So with that in mind, the following week, I had a conversation with a pastor. I reached out to a pastor who I knew had shut down a church before and who was at a very successful church now. And I basically went with the motive of saying, how do you know it's time to shut down a church? And how do you go about doing that? I was really looking for advice. And that lunch turned into a three-hour conversation followed by some text messages and another meeting a couple of days later. And the more I met with this pastor and had conversations with this pastor, the more I realized that this church had done and what we envisioned better than we'd been able to. And I began to research this church. I began to look at what they've done I began to see all the young families who had kids who loved this church and they were able to provide for their kids the way we want to. And I looked at all the students that attended this church and how they've been able to provide for these students the way we want to. We've always said that our mission was to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. And this church says they exist to know God and make God known. And I thought that's pretty similar. And synergy means we can accomplish more together than we can alone. And so in the process of about a week, kind of a whirlwind week, I've realized more and more that it would be beneficial for us to partner with 
another church rather than to keep trying to do things on our own. So this church has offered me a job. And I've accepted the job. And I start October the 1st. And so while we wanted to end the year at Synergy, we've had a detour. Still the same dream to create a church that reaches people for Christ, that trains up the next generation, that is a harbor for families that are hurting, a church that people love to attend, a church that people feel comfortable inviting lost friends and family members to, a church that looks and feels a lot like we look and feel, minus the curtains and the gym. And so this detour has brought us to the point where it's bittersweet for me to inform you, more bitter than sweet at this point, that next Sunday will be the final Sunday at Synergy Church. Now, I know for some of you that's not what you came to hear today. And hopefully, if you're like me, you've loved Synergy Church. But here's what I believe. I believe that dreams don't die in seasons of detour. I believe that there's a destiny and a greater purpose that God has for all of us. And that one day we will look back on these five years and understand the purpose that they served. But currently, it's difficult to embrace, just like Joseph would have had difficulty embracing the life of a slave or the life of a prisoner. But here's what I love about this story. Genesis chapter 45, verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. They didn't recognize that their brother was the one they were begging for grain. And he's now revealing, I'm actually your brother. You know, the one that you sold into slavery, you were jealous, you hated, thought about killing me, but you just decided to sell me in slavery because it was cleaner. I'm now the one that you're begging for grain. I love that because his dream came true, right? Is my father still living? I love his love for his family. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. It's kind of that moment where you're like, I have made a mistake. I should not have done that. Verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Listen to this, important. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You didn't realize out of your jealousy and hatred that when you sold me into slavery, it was part of God's plan. You didn't realize when you thought you could get rid of me so that, so that Father would stop treating me better than you and you would make yourself feel better in the household. You didn't realize that God had a plan for my life, that there was a destiny, that my dream paled in comparison to what he had in store for me. But God sent me ahead of you, and I don't hold that against you because the detours were difficult, but they led me to God's destiny. 
And I believe in my heart of hearts that the end of synergy is simply a detour that's leading us to a place of destiny. That God has greater things in store for all of our families. And I cannot wait to see what all God does in us and through us. So if you're here today and you have a dream and you feel like you've hit some detours and you feel like giving up on a dream, whatever that may look like in your life, I just wanted to encourage you today that the dream doesn't die with a detour. It simply leads you to God's greater plan. Your dreams typically will pale in comparison to what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Let me pray for us and then I'm going to share some more details with you. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness. Thank you for your provision. And thank you for synergy. It has been an honor to serve you with these incredible people. But my prayer, Father, is that this redirection wouldn't limit the dream that we have. It would simply take us to a place that we never realized we could get to. And I pray you would give us wisdom and mercy as we move forward. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, so... Before we move forward, I know that you probably have some questions, and so if you're a guest with us, uh, first of all, I'm sorry for the extremely awkward first experience that you've had with us. Um, we do hope you'll come back next week, though it will be our last week. Um, let me give you some details and answer some questions, and then I'll be around um, all afternoon if you have additional questions. Next Sunday will be our final Sunday. We're going to have a morning of worship, communion, and prayer. We're going to have a luncheon to follow. We hope that you can and will make plans to be with us and enjoy that. Beyond that, let me give you details of what looks, what's next for Synergy. The church that has offered me a position is Greystone Church. Their main campus is in Grayson. They have a satellite campus in Monroe, called their Walton Campus. 1,700 total people attend this church on a weekly basis. 400 at Walton. 100 of those people are going to Oconee County the second week of October to begin practice services to launch a brand new campus. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oconee County, Walton County, it's not Barrett County. True, I get it. For that reason, legally, we are not merging with Greystone Church. Legally, I'm not going to stand before you next week and say, we are now Greystone Church, and you choose which campus you want to be a part of. Our heart, remembering this, is what's best for our families. So, Lindsay and I will be going to help start the Oconee Campus. 
16 miles exactly from this location, straight up 316, right off Highway 78. That's where God has called our family to go. So next Sunday at the luncheon, I'm going to try my best to have the campus pastor from that campus here to share a little with you about Greystone Church. I never would want to end Synergy without giving you a viable option. This is the church in our vicinity that is the most like Synergy by far. And I feel like it would be a natural transition for our families to be part of that church. So I want to ask you two things. Number one, actually I want to ask you to promise me two things. Number one, I want you to promise me that you will be in church. You will find a church home immediately. That you won't take a season off church. That you won't just stop going. You won't get bitter. You won't begin to look at things differently. That you will find a church home. And number two, I want you to promise me that you'll at least visit with Lindsay and I. So what we're doing is next Sunday, the 18th, is our final worship experience, luncheon to follow, information about Greystone. The following Sunday, the 25th, Lindsay and I are inviting you to go with us to the Walton campus to experience what Greystone Church is like at one of their satellite campuses. And we would love for you to at least commit to us that you'll at least go and visit. Will it be different? Will it look different? Yes. But please, just because you act like you love me, at least visit one time. Just please do me that favor. And then after that, I want to help you find what's best for your family. So all of you who have been connected at Synergy, you're going to be hearing from me, especially if you don't choose Greystone, because I want to make sure that your family is in a place by which you're your family can grow and mature in the Lord. You can be part of a church family that provides for you what you need. And I hate, while I hate that we haven't been able to provide what we envisioned and dreamed of for you, I want to help you find that for your family. And then after that, we can have conversations and you can consider what that looks like. There's a lot more information that... I could share with you, but some of you may or may not be interested, and so I'll, I'll be around um, to answer those questions. Um, the Oconee campus will be starting in a brand new facility, though. It will not be portable, um, and so I, for one, am actually looking forward to that change of scenery. But regardless, I love you. I have enjoyed being your pastor, and I hope that we can continue to serve together to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God.